0: All right, let's get straight into our thinking point this morning. We're staying uh, with the country's electricity problems. Patrick Bond is the Distinguished Professor of Sociology at the University of Johannesburg. Good morning, and thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor Bond.
1: Great to be with you again, Cathy.
0: Thanks. Look, when one just listens to what South Africans have been saying about the state of energy supply, but also when they're reflecting on their own experience in terms of what they're having to do on a day-to-day basis just to keep things going, one gets a sense that everybody's hands are really up in the air and, you know, asking the question, well, what must happen now? You know, what what, what needs to happen in order to, to pull us out of this cycle, this very repetitive and very dangerous cycle that we found ourselves in?
1: Yes, and there are two visions, aren't there? One is what uh, uh, André de Retra, the ESCOM CEO, along with Grady Montage and the uh, let's say the establishment one, which is to uh, sort of muddle through and add um, privatized electricity, independent power producers, and also uh, quickly ramp up a gas, a methane gas capacity. And the other is the green new ESCOM that the Climate Justice Coalition and the second biggest uh, uh, trade union federation, uh, South African Federation of Trade Unions. And um, some of the institutes like Alternative Information and Development Center have been promoting, which is to to rebuild ESCOM as a a green uh, institution because of the fear that the privatized model won't work.
0: It's interesting because you talk about a privatized model and just last week we had we had the pres the the, the the now acting president but the deputy president, David Mabuza, vehemently denying that there were any plans to privatize ESCOM.
1: Well obviously the generation capacity is being rapidly privatized because um, the coal fired power plants are you know, running down, their score of and uh, falling apart. And uh, the big question is how will they be uh, replaced. So ESCOM does have one or two smallish projects. Uh, they have micro grids that they can put in container boxes and, and do very small scale, which is going to be helpful. But the uh, the critical question is where the uh, big old coal-fired power plants can be rehabbed. And you might have seen the World Bank loan was announced on Friday, about $500 million. And the dilemma is that uh, where There's some piping that goes to Mozambique where they're drawing in uh, gas, the methane gas that comes from offshore Mozambique. That's in the middle of the country, not the very conflicted north of the country near Cabo Delgado. But in the middle of the country, they're running out. And they think they can still use some of the gas in that pipe, which is a Sasol pipe, to go to Kamati, the first of the big coal-fired power stations that have to be uh, sort of uh, rehabbed now because they've, Uh, reach their uh, end of their lifespan. And I think this is one of the most interesting areas because we've seen the activists and uh, very, very good public interest lawyers, community groups like the Amadeva Crisis Committee, Sustained the Wild Coast, Fisher Folk, all sorts of uh, marine conservationists, climate activists trying to stop offshore gas, in South Africa and winning, actually winning on September 1, quite a, a decisive victory against Shell and its local partner, Johnny Copeland, his uh, Impact Africa. And I think this is one of the most interesting questions. Car power ships are the privatized um, three ships in Kucha, Saldana, and Richards Bay harbors that have been proposed, but they lack environmental approval because they're, you know, they're quite It's a a quite awesome uh, question. How do you put a huge power ship into a harbor without making an enormous environmental mess from the standpoint of, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but also the local ecology? But I think that will be what uh, these establishment guys are trying to do, uh, gasify it. Uh, As they decarbonize, we might get a meth addiction, methane uh, gas coming in, and that may in turn, as the debate in Europe heats up about whether they should be turning to more gas from uh, uh, places like uh, Senegal, where the German chancellor visited recently to try to get more gas since the line to vladimir putin has being cut off the nord stream pipeline then the uh, awesome problem of climate catastrophe because methane is is so much more potent than carbon it's 85 times more and these are the things that the establishment which have always been kind of pro-carbon uh, in fact uh, andre de Reiter used to work at Sassol. his nickname there was mr Coal, and he's trying to you know, he made a big announcement a couple of days ago about uh, really pushing much more gas to replace coal, and the activists. And, and I think you know, if you look at the sort of next generations, the youth, they're going to say, no, no, we, we actually have an incredible asset base of, um, uh, of 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 sun and wind, so we should be using that.
0: So so I guess on the one hand, you have the debate over what then the next phase of our energy supply should look like. Is it uh, solar, wind and energy, like you're saying, or are we moving to gas? But but before we even get there, I, I want to firstly just look at the plans that ESCOM is announcing now. There are those who believe that the power situation has been allowed to deteriorate to this point so that ESCOM can go out to market and can start getting a lot more private power. And and when one looks at, of course, the the solutions such as what they released in the statement yesterday about where they're going to be going to try and source um, this additional power that we need, it plays into that theory. Your own views on that?
1: Yes, I wouldn't be necessarily conspiratorial. I think the the decision not to allow Eskom to really do uh, its own uh, solar and wind and possibly tidal and uh, it, it, you know increase the what's called the, the pumped storage capacity that is to be able to store energy like in uh, you know in the sort of Drakensberg range or even in the hills of Cape Town uh, quite a bit of energy is stored when there's a good sunny day, a good windy day, and, and it's pushed, water's pushed uphill and it's allowed to come back. We also have very, very deep mines which storage could be used. But you know, it was back in the late 90s when the white paper was produced in 1998. Um, and it was at that point that privatization was mooted because there was a sense that ESCOM shouldn't be um, continuing with the generation. And I think in in a way, the, the coal-fired power plants, these mega projects, the two big ones that were put together uh, starting in 2006, uh, Madupi and Pusile, they really show that ESCOM doesn't have that capacity to do these mega projects, uh, especially 4,800 megawatt coal-fired power plants. Much uh, The problem is corruption, not just uh, African National Congress being bribed by Hitachi, a case that went to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act prosecution in the U.S., and uh, Hitachi paid a big fine there. We haven't yet seen uh, much political will to do prosecution or even the Zondo Commission to look into that particular case, even that's the biggest single case of corruption. And then we had um, plenty of other problems. So Casile is, is tripping. It uh, still has two of its big uh, six uh, boilers still unbuilt, and Uh, With Madupi, they had one of their big units blow up last August. So we're really seeing the problem of relying on coal. South Africa has a lot of coal, about 43 billion tons in reserve. But um, I think a lot of people would like to see that coal left underground because it is just such an incredible source of of our own uh, climate catastrophe. And we're going to be hit with uh, sanctions by uh, international trading partners who don't want to see the products coming into their countries, having this embedded uh, climate catastrophic component.
0: So, uh, So, Professor Bond, what are you saying? Are you saying that ultimately, when it comes to generation capacity in this country, the only thing that, and this is now looking into the future, going into the future, the only solution that looks viable that ESCOM is leaning towards is privatization?
1: Well, that seems to be the case and all of the IPP procurement program uh, bid windows uh, you know really confirm that um, aside from what Escom wants to do with the World Bank and a couple of these older f- facilities like komati they also have I should add a big gas plant in Richard's Bay, Bay. that's three gigawatts 3,000 megawatts uh, and that would you know add uh, substantially to the 2800 uh, uh, gigaw- uh, megawatts that we uh, uh, that we use every you know every day in a sort of uh, high consumption day. So we are needing to, to, to increase dramatically, or to look at cutting down on our demand. And that I would add is uh, a really critical factor, mm-hmm. especially with a few of the major smelters and uh, Sassol and Secunda using so much electricity and in a quite destructive way without a strong. Cost-benefit justification. But yeah, coming back to your question, yeah. is is Eskom committed to uh, privatising generation? Yes, and then to commercialising transmission. That's underway, um, and its distribution. And as you probably know, the ESCOM distribution, especially where there are townships, where back during late apartheid, uh, activists said we don't want the white municipalities. Let's get ESCOM to come in. Even Cyril Ramaphosa, when he was running the Soweto Com- Committee of Ten, he was an advocate for escom supplying those townships well people are having second thoughts because of the rater having imposed load reduction on these areas which is to say it's not just load shedding but even worse uh, if you're in an area even if you've paid your bill but others haven't you also are subject to uh, being disconnected and and that's sometimes called energy racism because of course it's uh, the black townships that are most adversely affected
0: why is it that uh, then government is being coy about what clearly then is seemingly the, the the only path pathway that they're creating
1: yes it's true they're they're obviously ideologically uh, committed because of the big trade union pressures one trade union the metal workers actually succeeded in getting a near inflation uh, Uh, wage increase uh, a few weeks ago, you might have noticed we we had a high, (laughs) uh, let's say, sabotage or increase in in, uh, load shedding because unions did uh, wildcat strikes, not just uh, metal workers, the National Union of Mine Workers. Um, And then Kasatu, its partner, certainly is opposed ideologically to privatization. So yes, they have to be coy. In fact, there's a slogan, isn't it? Talk left, but walk right. And that's why the IPPs are so contested. People are arguing like the metal workers that the main beneficiary is actually the brother-in-law of president uh, Ramaphosa that is Patrice Motsepe and he's around uh, you know a partner in about half of these new uh, independent power producers. I'd say more power to Patrice Motsepe if he's doing more solar. He is still a big coal tycoon like Ramaphosa himself was Um, and we're in a situation where with the price of coal incredibly high of four hundred dollars a ton uh, the brand has been crashing Uh, don't forget about uh, two years ago at the low point in 2020 it was only about forty dollars a ton so um, while the big coal uh, uh, miners which were Anglo coal and BHP Bulletin and um, uh, South 32 uh, BHP Bulletin's partner and Glencore a uh, kind of notorious company uh, guilty of lots of corruption across the continent, we've we've learned this year. They were then passing the trash. They were selling much of their coal mining to black entrepreneurs at uh, July and, Lovu and uh, Tungela, and right, Tungela, the Anglo uh, recipient, or Xaro, or Sariti. So now there's a very interesting block of pro-coal or pro-fossil forces, and they really have a very good ally, unfortunately, in greater So that, I think, is part of the talk left, walk right. It it, it is that there's an acknowledgement that climate change is a big problem and that as we have continuing coal and if we have new gas, well, we might be hit, we will be hit with climate sanctions by international trading partners. But there's a very big block of powerful forces, and Ndlovu, uh, uh, Mike Teke from Cerici, the the whole kind of new black coal owners block that says... Well, we don't want to actually change the model,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and
1: indeed, that—that that was. Part and parcel of, I think, why we've been so slow to get the solar and
0: the the wind online. So, So, Professor Bond, does that ultimately mean that part of the reason we're in this situation as South Africans is because behind the scenes you have all of these very powerful interests that are playing off against each other and ultimately wanting to secure the future of the viability of their own interests, of their own businesses, and it's resulted practically in what seems to be a stalemate of sort or a paralysis, perhaps better description, that leaves us in, in this situation.
1: Exactly. In fact, we even have a name for this big block called the Minerals Energy Complex because this economy uh, from more than 100 years ago, especially here in Johannesburg, really did build itself up uh, on the basis of the cheap coal and the need to dig very, very deep, four kilometers in one case to get gold, and then also to smelt and to process uh, all of these minerals. And that requires such massive amounts of uh, this very high intensity electricity. They're very carbon-intensive projects and smelters. And that's why people are saying, well, why aren't we shutting off BHP Bulletin in Richards Bay, that's the single biggest consumer, and they're basically importing the bauxite that goes into the aluminum there, and they're uh, exporting not just the product, but also the profits. And there are only about 1,300 workers there. So there is a call there to relook, because uh, BHP Bulletin, since 1992, has had the cheapest electricity in the country, about one-eighth the price that we, you know, mortals will pay. And then the other, of course, is Secunda, because of the fact that it's the single largest point source of CO2 emissions, what they do there, Kathy, you may know, is to squeeze coal and squeeze gas from Mozambique into sassel petrol. And it really is unjustifiable when we can get uh, imported refined petrol. All our refineries are basically shut, but it hasn't affected our pumps. You know, we're still getting our uh, imports through the pipeline from Durban. And I think that's the sort of question, demand-side management, looking at – you know, the sort of energy rationing, of what China has been doing and as it faced droughts, shut down big parts of industry, and what, of course, Europe's yeah. doing with, uh, with its uh, energy crisis. Uh,
0: Professor Bonda, I'm going to ask you just to, to stay on the line for me, please. I do want to continue a little bit with you on the other side of 9.30. Uh, Luanda Maume standing by with the latest headlines
1: on SAFM.
0: We continue the conversation on the talking point. Uh, We're talking to Professor Patrick Bond. He's with the University of uh, Johannesburg and some really interesting insights that he's sharing, at least uh, in terms of his own view around what is resulting in the electricity situation that we are finding ourselves in as a country. Um, Professor Bond, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to process much of what you are saying as as we're going along and Again, when it comes to some of the players that you have spoken about behind the scenes that, of course, are are fighting over interest, it's big money. And it's big money for a very long time in this country. Um, I'm I'm, I'm looking now at the DA that is holding its media briefing. They're announcing, you know, their own plan to sort of save the country out of out of load shedding. And I just want to know, what do you think it's going to take to break us out of this paralysis? So, yes, there may be these interests that are fighting, but at the end of the day, there has to be, something has got to give. Yes, I think it
1: will have to be the fossil fuel addiction, and whether it's the existing coal addiction or what, people call the meth addiction that's coming, methane gas, uh, that uh, Andre de Rater and uh, Grady Montasher are trying to push into the grid. DeRater even more explicit about that the last few days. Um, and I think the way that's been, let's say, resisted bit by bit, for example, on September 1, the court case that uh, rejected Shell and Johnny Copeland's bid to, to drill offshore, I think it's going to be much more of that. Even on Saturday this week, there's a protest in, in Cape Town, the Youth and Extinction Rebellion to try to get climate uh, as a higher agenda item. And after those KwaZulu-Natal rain bombs killed uh, more than 500 uh, in April and May this year, and with droughts continuing, I think the society could reach a tipping point of frustration that we have this incredible asset of sun and wind, and maybe tidal in the future, and we have some good energy storage options. But really, the priority for the big boys (laughs) remains uh, fossil fuels. And that's, I think, where the tipping point is going to have to uh, be reached in in coming months. It's going to have to be sweeping out that old mentality. Look, to be fair, in the new IPPs, this is, again, privatized generation capacity. There is um, scheduled for between uh, this year and 2024 6,800 megawatts. So that's a big chunk from solar, uh, photovoltaic, and wind and then another 500 for energy storage, but just think how much more mm-hmm. we could be doing if we really made this like a wartime mobilisation. And with a we coal mining tycoon in the uh, in the presidency, with the man who gave us Madhupi and as Eskom chair, Valimusa, heading the presidential climate commission, with the with the state enterprise um, ministry under Pravin Gordhan, who uh, made the financing from Madhupi and Casile, we're still stuck. And it may be till you know an election in 2024 might displace some of those folk that we could. Really, move forward,
0: what are the questions that we as as South Africans need to be asking right now?
1: I would say let 's think long term, think about your children, the grandchildren, the next generations. think about the way not um, western short term profiteering but a, a more African ubuntu perspective that takes you know people to people, people to next generations uh, and people to nature much more seriously, which means uh, if we're going to be hit with climate sanctions starting. Next year, the EU starts its what's called carbon border adjustment mechanism, and if, uh, as we've been seeing in, in Europe, huge debates about the so-called taxonomy, what is a what is a green source of energy? Those are going to continue. It's really important for um, you know a full costing, and right now the the cost is around 54,000 rand uh, per ton of emitting uh, CO2, and uh, methane is uh, 85 times more potent than CO2 over the next 20 years. This is uh, what's called a social cost of carbon. It's being used more and more by, uh, you know, sort of environmental uh, regulators. And if South Africa could start costing, uh, this is a debate I was having with uh, Dr. Azar Jamine in the courts in May, uh, the, the court case that was decided in favor of uh, the, the environmentalists and the communities. If we did more like that, really thought about, our um assets our natural assets in this society with much more respect it seems to me then we would be demanding that the big abusers the mining houses and smelters the uh the guys at Sasol squeezing coal that they stop getting so much cheap electricity while uh, ordinary People are, are really, really suffering now. And I think a rejigging of where the electricity goes, really uh, energy rationing the way Europe, the way China is, is you know, moving very quickly towards with their different crises, this is absolutely essential. And it's a shame it hasn't been on the agenda, but very few people know that BHP time uses more than 5% of the grid and pays uh, roughly 12 cents a kilowatt hour when, when the prices are low. Uh, they, they have a sort of... Uh, 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 volatile uh, industry, so they, they, they've they been able to persuade ESCOM to give them very low prices. And I think with the ruling party getting its money from a big uh, Russian mining uh, magnate, uh, Victor Bexlerberg gave $10 million this year. Shell gave $15 million, the, the big oil company. It really is time to ask whether this ruling party itself is, is fossil-addicted for its own financing. You know, as you said at the, at the news break, even the ANC workers aren't getting enough money, and I, I fear that uh, shaking down big uh, tycoons in the minerals energy complex is still the way the ANC is going to go really losing sight of its constituents' needs and and planetary survival and future generations.
0: All right. Uh, Professor Bond, I wish we had so much more time to uh, actually continue with this conversation. But yeah, I found your insights incredibly uh, fascinating this morning. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and for being so generous with your time. Uh, Professor Patrick Bond, he is with the University of Johannesburg. Next time, I think we book him for an hour and also give um, you as our listeners a chance to interact with it, me.